Uh, we planted this church eight years ago, and seven years ago, I sat down with a guy. His name was Rob Chestnut. Many of you know Rob. He's our missionary to the Czech Republic. He was sent out of our church a few years ago. I sat down with Rob, and I said, look, we started this church, <clears throat> and we were determined to not fall into um, what is so often found in the Christian culture of being overloaded with programs and whatnot. And I want to go back to the ancient manuscript, the Bible, and the command of Christ. And, and I, want to, I want to zero in on what Christ said about discipleship. And the predicament that I see in our culture is that, in our church culture particularly, is that we say the word discipleship and that comes in many different formats. Some people think, well, it comes in preaching. It's a format of, of discipleship for sure. It's teaching. Sometimes it's in a Bible study, sometimes in a small group. But the incredible uh, predicament that we find ourselves in is that the relationships that, that were between Moses and, uh, and Joshua and Elijah and Elisha, Paul and Timothy, those one-to-one relationships that so are so powerfully life-transforming life are screamingly absent in our culture today. And I, I am so pro-church uh, around, uh, around our city, around our world, and I, and I love how God expresses Himself through different venues of different local churches. And God just laid on our hearts here to say, let's take that aspect. Some churches focus on uh, reaching out, and, and certainly we're reaching out and beginning to develop more things, by the way, behind the scenes. But we said, let we believe that the world has changed not by what happens on a Sunday morning. You see, I think that the world is desperate to see change in people's lives. The people around you that don't know Christ yet, they still, they, they watch the same news that you do. They see the moral landscape deteriorating in our country. They see war at all ends of this globe. They, they, they are frightened by economic uh, fragility. They're all, all those things. And, and it is my proposal that they look and they hoped that the church would produce more than Super Sundays. They hoped, their hope, and I believe that's still there. They still hope. Maybe they don't articulate it. Maybe they can't even come to grips with it. But they hope that somewhere in the sea of humanity that there would be a team, a group, that would say, oh, I see there is hope in that. I can't find it in the self-help aisle at Book and Barnes & Noble. I can't find it in, in the TV preachers. I can't find it in the, in the light shows and the, and the smoke machines. I can't find it there. They will only find it when they see a life transformed, as we just sang, from a person being a wretch to a treasure. That's when they'll turn their hand and say, Oh, I see what God looks like through you. And for that reason, seven years ago, we embarked on this journey to say, let's make discipleship real and make it in such a way that it can multiply and duplicate. And we believe that that couldn't happen unless we sat down and wrote some tools and, and, uh, and, and may put some tools in, in people's hands that the average person can say, I can do this. Not only can I become a disciple, but I can become a disciple maker. You know that we launched this uh, uh, last September uh, we had not finished it yet, the seven-year uh, project. I'm, I'm thinking, who was the moron that said, let's launch it without finishing? It was me. Uh, 
and that added extra stress. But I, I'm, I want to tell you, I'm so happy with just and giving credit to God and, and, and uh, thanks to the team that has worked on this, that yesterday officially we finished our discipleship track. It's really, really cool. And uh, my retirement party will be at 2 in this afternoon if you want to. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, let me say this, and then I'll begin to, our, our time in the Word today. Listen, over 30 years of being in the ministry, I've, I've never witnessed the transformation of life as we are seeing it in one-to-one discipleship in the last nine months or so. It has been riveting. It has been worth every ounce of effort. So I'm saying that today as a precursor of what we're about to talk about. And that's this, that this is God's design. Christ would have not frustrated us and say, go in the world and make disciples without wanting us to have a strategy, wanting us to actually do it and not talk about it. We are designed to be participants in His, his plan. And I was thinking as we were, uh, we've been hovering in Genesis chapter 1, I was thinking of uh, how that moment when God created Adam and then he, he automatically gave him things to do. I was thinking about this crazy thought that God, he would have been a, a, a great boss. If God were your boss, he'd be great. I don't know about you, but I've had some crummy bosses along the way. Have you? There, there are times, I, I taught in college one time, I had a, a guy who was dean of the arts, and I was teaching in the music department. And this guy, he, he never showed up as dean of the arts. He never showed up to an art gallery, an art showing. He never showed up to a piano recital, or a concert or a recital. He never went to any one of the plays, never. He hung out at bars at about 2 in the afternoon, starting 2 in the afternoon, and he smoked stuff he shouldn't have smoked. And, 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 and in those moments, how in the world did you get to this position? Have you have those bosses who are in charge? You're like, how, how, how did you get to be the boss? It would never be that way with God. He would always be on time. Because God is, he, he is the master of time. He understands, he's in the future, he's in the present. He would always be there. He would always be a visionary. You know, a great leader always sees around the corner. God lives in the, around the corner. God lives in next Thursday. He's, he's present, past, and future. He would always say, he would never come to you as boss and say, I've got this idea. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but let's give it a shot. He'd come to you and say, hey, I got this idea, and I know it's going to work because I've already proven it uh, two months from now. I know you're not living there, but I haven't. Really, you know, he would be incredible as a boss. And he would be clear about the job description that he would give to you. There would be no like, hmm, I wonder. Have you ever worked somewhere like, I wonder what I'm supposed to be doing right now? God gave, would be clear in that. How do you know that? Well, when I open the scriptures to the very first page, as I invite you to, if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1, what we find there is that God creates this man named Adam. And he describes to him, here's who you are. And I want you to take note that the mission that he gave to Adam was not only extremely clear, but take note of the immediacy of the mission. That I, right away, here's who you are and here's what you're supposed to be doing. Clear. Watch. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us... 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man in our image, in our likeness. That was the description who a man was. A creature, the only one in all of creative, the creative story, the creation story, the only one that God said about us, that we are living beings being that were created in the image of God. That's who we are. And then he says right away, attached to that, here's what you are to do. Let us make man in our image, our likeness, and here's your job role. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and, and over the livestock and let them, allow them, give, I'm giving, we're giving the privilege to them to rule over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now we could break this down of what that means, what the dominion means, what the rule means, and all those things. But here's the thing I want to say. Let's keep it simple. Here's what God was saying to this new creature, Adam. He was saying, I have made you in my likeness. Now, here's what I want you to do. Get in the game. All of this, all these things that I've asked you to do, I'm asking you to get in the game. I did not create you, Adam, to be a consumer. I created you and designed you to participate in what I've made. So get in the game. You see, God came to a man named Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And you know what he said to Abraham, this older man? Get in the game. God came to Moses and said, I want you to get in the game. You're in the back 40. Get in the game. He came to Gideon, mighty warrior. Get in the game. Isaiah, get in the game. He came to a fisherman named Peter, a Galilean of all people, rough around the edges. Peter, drop your nets. Get in the game. You know what he's saying to you right now on this very day? You're so smart. That's amazing. One of my favorite comedians, Jim Gaffigan. Don't know if you know Jim Gaffigan. I don't know if you've seen his routine on bowling. Love it because he's saying, you know, a lot of, a lot of, team, a lot of sports, you know, you got to get in the game. You gotta... Bowling seems like such a consumer sport that, you know, what other sport do you release the ball and it comes right back to you and you don't even have to bend over to get it. You know, it's, it comes right to that level like you just kind of reach down and then, you know, there's that little machine that's you know, blowing air in case you're sweating. Who sweats in bowling, honestly? Think about it. And, and the challenge is that in the Christian arena, I see a lot of spiritual bowlers. Like, yeah, just bring it on back. Bring it on back to me. I'm, I'm kind of in this to consume. Can you, can you do it a little shorter, a little longer, a little cooler, a little hotter? Because I'm in God said, no, 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 no. Don't be a bowler. No offense to bowlers. I bowl. I love bowling. So no offense to bowl. But spiritually speaking, no. Don't. We're, we're not bringing this thing up to you. I'm asking you to get in the game. Why? I'll tell you why. Because attached to God's design for us to get in the game is not only what we're supposed to do, but then we'll look like Him. What do you mean? You see, God, of all people, could have been a spiritual bowler. I'm up here, you're down there. But that is not what God looks like. In the Gospel of John, he begins the same way as Genesis 1-1 does. 
He begins with these words in the beginning in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. That's Christ. And the Word was with God comfortably, securely, eternally, powerfully. And He could have stayed right there. I often, no kidding, often think of the creation story thinking that God could have done it any way He absolutely wanted to. He could have made the whole earth gray. He could have given us one food, potatoes. What do you want for breakfast? Potatoes. What are you going to have for lunch? Taters. What are you going to do for uh, dinner? Taters. Think about how boring that would have been. He could have done anything He wanted to. And Christ, the Word of God, could have stayed right here. He could have been a bowler. Just bring it up to me. You guys, you think it's funny. It's, I, I'm saying it in a humorous way, but listen. So many of the religions of the world create and produce the image of a deity that says, if you want me, you come and get me. It is the distinction of the God of the Scriptures. Watch. In the beginning was the word Christ, and Christ was comfortably, securely, and eternally with God. And that word was God. Christ was God. Verse 2, he says it again. And he was comfortably, securely, and eternally with God in the very beginning. In Christ was life, and that life was the light of men. That true light, the true light that gives light to every man, got in the game. This is the image of the God of the Scriptures. He was coming into the world. Verse 14, the Word became flesh. Thank God. It's the best thing that you'll ever hear in your entire life that Christ, God, became flesh and He got in the game. When God created Adam, He said, this is how I want you to look because I got in the game, but He got in the game, as we saw a few weeks ago, as a team. That Christ always says, I'm only speaking the words that the Father is giving to me. How I say it and what I say. Hold up, don't go any further until the Holy Spirit comes and supplies you and, and equips you with what uh, He can only supply you with. In other words, He came into the world and participated as a team. This is how Adam was created. This was his likeness. Then we know the rest of the story, and there's always a challenge. The challenge was that Adam broke the barrier of the, the secure relationship that he had with God. And suddenly things were changed, and he lost the image of God. In fact, I brought a picture of a, of a, a flower pot that I, I saw an advertisement of. And I want you to see this. I'm like... That's what happened to Adam. Suddenly he became self-centric, me-centric. And instead of being a participator, he became solo commando. He hid. He, he took himself out. And every time we do that, we look more like Adam than we do the God who created him. When Moses said, I'm out, I'm no longer participating, 
I'll just be a shepherd on the back 40 and that's it. Just leave me alone. He looked more like Adam than he did the God who created him. That's why God went to Moses. That's God, when God went to Elijah when he sequestered himself. Said, what are you doing? Get in the game because I've designed you to be in the game. So we have that wrestling within us. Will we look more like God or will we look more like Adam? Will we participate or will we hold back? You see, when God made Adam and he created him, watch what happens by the time we get to, uh, to um, Genesis chapter 5. Watch this. In Genesis chapter 5, now we're past the mistake of, uh, and the sin of Adam. In Genesis chapter 5 and verse 1, there's a bit of the, the creation story of Genesis 1.26 repeated. When God created man, it repeats again. He made him in the likeness of God, designed to be a participator in the rest of creation. Verse 2, he created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness. Not the likeness of God. He had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. He named him Seth. And this is our challenge. This is our predicament that we are now, we have this, this predicament where Adam has mysteriously and miraculously affected the image of all of the rest of us. And that's why we have all of our hang-ups and all of our, our hesitancy to get involved and participate. It goes deep. It's not just a personality that you inherited from your mom or dad, etc. It's what we inherited from Adam. And when we're participating, we look more like God. And when we're not, we look more like Adam. But Christ came, as we said earlier, and this is the fantastic news. Adam lost the image of God, but Christ came to restore it. Christ came to say, I know you, you're broken inside, and I'm going to have to fix it from the inside out. Religion tries to fix it from the outside in. Christ says, no, I'll send the Holy Spirit to you. You can be born a second time so that I begin to increase in you the image of God, and now you have the image of God living in you. And watch what happens, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's creation, His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, and immediately following that, to get in the game, to do good works, not to just sit to, walk, to have the bowling ball come back to us and let everything you know, be forth. No, you've been created in Christ to do good works, which God has designed for us, prepared for us to, to, to deal with in the future. All right. So at this point, think, okay, I'm with you. We are designed to participate but I must say to a church that sits itself in the country of America, I must clarify. Because our American culture conditions us to be solo commando. Our, our American culture at times say, man, whatever is good for you, you do it. And you'll be independent. This is not the image of God to be a solo commando. So we must ask ourselves the question, okay, if we're going to participate, how is it that we participate? From the outset, God said to Adam and Eve, this is going to be a team effort. In other words, you both rule over all of creation as a team. And then 
what happens is that families began to be created, and it was always this sense of community. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, we just saw Genesis chapter 4, something of huge magnitude happened. We don't have the time. We actually go into it, by the way, in our discipleship and the latter chapters because it's heavy duty. It's so heavy duty that something happened as the kingdom of God could no longer be advanced as it was happening in Genesis chapter 6 that God had to hit the reset button, flood the world, and, and, and start all over again. You know that a God of great compassion, if he had to do that, it must have been deeply serious, and it was. But when Adam stepped off the boat, you know what God said to him? Thank you for the 12 that are still with me. I am feeling so good about that. And he probably said it with that tone, get in the game. <laughs> no, ah, no, get in the game. <laughs> get in the game. I pay people $12 just to say it. You know, when I ask the question, you, you'll go ahead and answer. Get in the game. Go and replenish the earth. Go out there. Scatter yourself. Rule the world. Rule the, get, be part, a participant. And you know exactly what they did if you know how things ravel out. Tower of Babel, Genesis 11, they all come together. And you know that, that design God had about getting the game going up? Nah, I, I, I got a better plan. It must, they must have been Americans. They were like, no, I got a better problem. I, I got something better. Let's come together and build a, a tower, and we'll, just, we'll, we'll make a name for ourselves, not a name for God. And, and then there, there's this hidden word in the, in the scriptures. It's clink. God came along, saw the, the, the battle of the uh, Tower of Babylon, clink, knocked it right over. Like, come on, man. Really? You think you're as big as God? Then something happens. Here's why I bring us to this point. Something happens in the next chapter that's pivotal for the entire Bible. Genesis chapter 12, God shows up to an older man named Abraham. And he says, I'm about to do something much different than's been happening in the first 11 chapters of the Bible. I'm going to create a nation. And this nation... I am going to track with, I'm going to hover with, I'm going to persevere with, I'm going to become intimate with for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Abraham, you're going to start it out. You're going to be the father. You'll give birth to a man named Isaac, and Isaac will give birth to two sons named Jacob and Esau, and I'll have Jacob give birth to 12 sons, and those 12 sons will be the 12 hubs of this nation. They're 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, and God begins to track, listen, of people who are supposed to participate together. This is the key. Not, there was no solo commando. Hey, Abraham, uh, there's this country. It's called Canaan. I need you to go there by yourself. You see, no one can see God from the solo commando point of view. God can only be seen when we're doing this because this is who God is. God is a relational being. Let us make man in our image. And so God began to track with the nation of Israel and build the nation of Israel. God told Jacob, this nation will be enslaved 400 years and then will move, finally move to the destination, the goal, the objective. God, as the boss, had clear goals and a plan. So that happened, which is amazing to us as human beings. It's not amazing for God when God says, hey, this is going to happen in the future. These people are going to be enslaved for 400 years. But that's because he's already living there. God, you know what God would, he would not only be a great boss, you know who he'd be? A great stockbroker. Think about it. 
See, if God were your stockbroker, dude, none of us would be sitting here. We'd be in the south of France or somewhere because he knows what's happening. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to be enslaved for 400 years, this nation, and they were. But their destination together as participants was the land of Canaan. In fact, today I brought a map for us to, to clarify. Now, on the left here where the red, the red uh, um, arrow and path starts, that's where they started in Egypt. You can see about 1 o'clock there on the map the word Canaan going vertically. That was their destination. Now, the dark path there at the, at the bottom middle of the Great Sea there, the dark path there would have been had they taken a straight shot. And most people uh, who know, uh, know what they're talking about will tell us that had they taken a straight shot, it would have taken them about three weeks or less to get there. It took them 40 years. Because, see, when they came out of Egypt crossed the Red Sea, you know, many of you know the story. They sent some spies, as any good army would do, into the land of Canaan. They started at a place called uh, Kadesh Barnea, which we'll get to. I'm bringing it up for a reason. And they sent them to the valley of Eskol, which we'll get to as well. And they said, hey, we're going to send 12 spies out, and we're going to check out the land. We're going to go there. God's going to send us. And you remember the story. They came back. Two, two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, ah, this is awesome. Let's get in the game. This is, God is going to give us. Oh, yeah, they're bigger. They're big linebackers. I mean, these guys are Green Bay Packers. Dude, they're, they're big. That, no problem. Because, see, God, he's a lot bigger than that. Let's get in the game. They came back with that kind of attitude. Ten of them, however, were fraidy cats, and they freaked everybody out. They're too big for us. You know what they said? Let's not get in the game. Let's get out. This whole plan. Let's go back. Slavery looks pretty good. Like, are you an idiot? You remember, the, remember that when they said, oh, back there, the, 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 the food we ate? Like, really? And they were like, let's get out. You know who they look like? This is not an image of God. You know who this image is? is? Adam in the garden. Oh, I'm not playing anymore. You see, when we are in a... When we like, you know what? I, I've been in I've been in, uh, in a small group before, and, and was back in 1976, and somebody hurt my feelings. I'm not going to get back. I know that. I know how it feels. I've been beat up, run over. I got tread marks, scars, back, so, you know, back biting, all that stuff. I know that. And there are times where I'm like, ah, the church scares me. I, I got that. But the problem is, this doesn't look like God. God would say no. You're, that's not the point. So he said, okay, here's the deal. You afraidy cats, you're discouraging everybody. You will not make it to Canaan. That's why they were in the desert 40 years. He said, I'm going to let you die off until this new generation comes up. Okay, you ready? I'm, there's, a, there's a point to this. 40 years in the desert hardship. They didn't have dental floss by the, back then. A lot of sand in the teeth. A lot of sand in the hair. A lot of enemies. A lot of murmuring. Uh, fightings, outside fighting is a lot of that until they track down south. They track up to the top of that, that body of water. They take a left. They come back. They head back south. They're just, they're, they're like me in Orlando. I don't know where I'm at. You're just kind of driving around. And finally, they come up under that top body of water, which is the Dead Sea, and they come to the right, and above that, I hope you can read it where you're at, is the Jordan River. 
Because when you're reading the Bible and you're thinking, okay, they're going to, to Egypt, to Canaan. How in the world? Why are they on the east side of the Jordan River? Egypt is on the west side and Canaan is on the west side. Well, the reason is they did that Orlando drive and they got over here and they're on the east side of the Jordan River in order to get into Canaan, they must cross from the east side of Jordan, of Jordan River over into Canaan. Are you with me? All right. So here's what happens. Here comes underscore, bolded, and italicized the moment. After all of this, 440 years ago, the, the, the prediction from God, the prophecy from God that this is going to happen now it's here. Drum roll. Orchestra's soaring. Here we go. Trumpets blaring. The moment. These 12 tribes that are hung together as a team, they come to this moment. Now they're going to gear up and cross the Jordan to get in the game to conquer this little strip of land that of all the globe, it is still the centerpiece of your evening newscast. It is an important piece of real estate because God thousands of years ago said, this is a place that is going to be the center of attention. The Son of God came to earth and He died right there. Humanity was changed in that little strip. It was important. The moment to cross in, to fight for it, to conquer it came. Two of the teams, the Reubenites and the Gadites, they stepped up to Moses in that moment. After hundreds of years of planning, hoping, mapping out. And they said, Moses, we need to have a word with you. We're out. You're what? You mean, over here, you mean when God called Abraham and said how this is all going to fold out? You mean after all the sand in the teeth, battles, murmuring, backbiting, you mean all of that? And we're coming to the moment and you're out they did not look like God, the participator. They came to Moses. They said these words in number chapter 32. Numbers chapter 32, verse 1, the Reubenites and the Gadites, who had, a very, had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands of Jazar and Gilead were suitable for livestock. Now, let me go back to the map for just one sec. See Canaan up there on the left? And if you go further to the right, you see Gilead? That's Gilead, all right? So they're on the wrong side of the river. So they saw this land on the wrong side of the river, and it was suitable for their livestock. So they came, verse 2, to Moses and Eleazar the priest and to the leaders of the community, and they said, Ataroth, and a bunch of other names of the leaders, verse 4, the land that the Lord subdued before the people of Israel, because we fought off for all this, they're suitable for our cows, for livestock. 
And your servants, I don't know if you noticed, we have a lot of cows. We have a lot of livestock. If we found favor in your eyes, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. But do not make us cross the Jordan with the rest of you. The motivation for them was with them. What's in it for me? Forget the destination. Forget the design. And quite frankly, forget the rest of you guys. You go fight. I'll stay here. I'll be comfortable. Because the motivating factor was cows. We have cows here. And we can't. We're not going to go. How do you suppose Moses responded to this memo? Watch. Moses, in verse 6, said to the Gadites and Reubenites, Shall your countrymen go to war while you sit here? Come on, man. This would be a great place to insert in the Bible. What the? And I'll go no further. (laughs) Or maybe he responded like this. Shall your countrymen go to war? While you sit here? I wonder if we could hear the heart of God who would speak to us as believers, of followers, that on average 20% of any given church are fighting at that edge while many are okay with Sundays. And we're glad you're here, but there are times that God just strikes us. So no, I expected you to get further in, to carry carry the front edge would God ever say wait a minute this is not computing you mean you're allowing 20% to fight while you bowl while you expect it to come back to you you have to decide that between you and God but when I hear this it's as if you hear God speaking to Moses this doesn't compute wait a minute They're going to fight and you sit. They're going to take up spears and shields and they're going to be on the edge and half of them are going to get wiped and you're going to sit here. Can you feel it from Moses? He says, wait a minute. Why do you discourage the rest of the team from going over into the land the Lord has given them? This is exactly what happened when the spies came back, what your fathers did when I sent them from, here it is, Kadesh Barnea to the other land. And they went up to the valley of Eskel and they viewed the land. They came back, discouraged the Israelites from entering the land that the Lord had given them. And I'm, and here you are, a brood of sinners. Could you put that in a little nicer way? I, we've all made mistakes. No, he's laying it out. He's saying, you, you know what? You're looking like Adam. You're looking like, oh, no, I'm out. 
Here you are, Brutus Sinner, standing in the place of your fathers. They made the same mistake. You're looking like your father's making the Lord even more angry with Israel. If you turn away from following him, he will again leave this pe- these, the whole team in the desert, and you will be the cause of their destruction. It's those who want that, the things to come up to them to consume. He's like, oh, Christ is so passionate about his church rocking it together, rocking the world together, that he would turn to those of us that at times were like, okay, I'll just take a back row. He's like, no, you must get in because the world, listen, is waiting to see the hope of Christ through us together as a team. Now, I know it's tough. It's a, it's a tough mission, a tough message. But the, 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 the mission of God, I, I assume that every person sitting in this room understands that we've been put on earth for a purpose. And coming on Sunday mornings is wonderful. I love it. But I would be remiss. I would be irresponsible. I would, I would be, uh, and before God, afraid if I didn't tell you that it is only the first step. It is. And many, many know it. I know that. Many know it. And, 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 there are, and we have a lot of sacred cows that keep us on the other side of the river. I wonder if God would say to you today, it's time to take that sacred cow, that thing that just won't allow you to cross in with the team, and slaughter it. Slaughter it once and for all. You see the mission. Watch what happens. They said, okay, whoa. Moses is, you know, you know how your kids are? Like, dad's mad. Okay, we'll do it. We'll rake the leaves. You know, whatever it is, right? You, you, you know those moments where you've just blown your top. And, like, they'll do anything at that moment. I take advantage of those moments as a dad. Trust me. Okay, well, then let's clean the car. You can take my office. You know, whatever. Dad's mad. Moses is upset. Okay, we'll go. We'll, we'll go. But before we go, you know how you start negotiating with God? I, I, God, I promise that I'll stop blah, 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 whatever it is. I'll start blah, 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 whatever it is. But just before I go, let me go bury my dad, you know, uh, as, as those came to follow Christ. Let me, I got to go, I, you know, there's always that. So they said, okay, we'll fight. But watch what happens in verse 16. Then they came to Moses and said, okay, before we go to fight with you, because we'll, we agree with you, it's not a good idea. We'd like to build pens here for our cows. Why are the stupid cows always at the top of their list? Isn't it amazing? We look at it. I look at it. I'm like, you're a moron. Then I look in the mirror. I'm like, no, you're a moron. I got my own set of sacred cows. And God's like, come on over. The, the action is over on this side of the river. You're over here because you got all these cows going on. I have nothing against cows in case there's one of your pets. We'd like to build pens here for our, our livestock and cities for our women and our children, but we're ready to arm ourselves and go ahead with the Israelites until we come to, the, to, to what? Their place? It's already starting to fracture. It's like when people come to me like, hey, man, I, I've been here for, at 360 for a year. I really like your church. No, it's our church. See, now there's a separation. See, we'll help you to get to your place. No, the, the design was our place. You say, I do a lot of cool things in the world. I, you know, I have this going, I have this going. That's cool, awesome. But the world is looking for the team to do it. There were about 43,000 Reubenite men. There were about 40,000 Gadite men. And then they, they 
brought in a half a tribe of Manasseh. So now there are two and a half tribes, and there was 26, roughly 26,000 men, fighting men of fighting age, 110,000, 110,000. If there were 110,000 men, there were probably 110,000 women. Just use your mind. When Christ said he fed 5,000 men, well, there are 5,000 women too. There's 10,000. There's probably 5,000 more children. That's at least 15,000, probably more children, but we'll just keep it conservative. So when there's 110,000 men, there's probably 110,000 women. Let's say there's 110,000 uh, uh, children. So we're talking about, in these, these two and a half tribes, roughly around 350,000 people. They said, before we go, we'd like to build pens around our, uh, our livestock, our cows, because they're so important. And we'd like to build cities for our, for our women and children while we're at war. Do you have any idea how long it would take to build pens and cities for 300,000 people? See, what happens is that, God, I, I promise, I get it, man. I'm designed, but I just got to... I got to take care of my cows and everything. And one this year somehow turns into next year, doesn't it? And this decade turns into next decade. And what I'm saying to you with great passion, it is driven by compassion because my brothers and sisters in Christ, I see so many year after year after year after year who are going to plan to cross the river. And I would say perhaps today is the day that you look at those cows and punch them right in the old gourd and say, I'm done with you. I'm coming over. Or something like that. God is waiting along with the world for us to look more like Him. Period. That's the driving force. Because sometimes we never get to it. 110,000 fighting men that day said, we got it. Okay, let us build first, but we got it. Any idea how many actually crossed over and fought? Joshua chapter 4. The moment came. Joshua chapter 4 verse 12. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. That's who we're talking about. They crossed over armed in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. About 40,000. Only 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord stood the plain of Jericho. That's 37%. Sometimes we have great intention of saying, let me just take care of my cows, my sacred cows. And God, once that gets in line, I promise I'll cross. And at least I'm... I'm desperately right now doing math in my mind that 37 minus 100 is 63, right? Is that good? Am I right? Okay. Why should I ask you, John? <laughs> That's 63%. Listen to me. They never did it. Never did it. Which percent do you want to be in? I personally want to live my little track of 80 plus years, not in that 67% said, okay, we'll slaughter our cures, we'll, we'll punch them, we'll move on, we'll get there, and never get there. So that when I cross over the eternal Jordan, Christ looked me in the eye and said, oh, come on, man, how come the cows were more important? Oh, you don't want to be in that crowd, honestly. That's the passion. It's coming from love. I'm, I would take you by the shoulders and say, come on. Crossover, punch the cow. That makes a good t-shirt, by the way. 
1 Corinthians 12, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In order to rock the world, we do need you. Now listen. You may think, dude, that's, that's, this is a little bit heavy. It's heavy because we're designed to rock the world together. But it's where the jazz is. Now check this out. They went ahead, these, these 40,000 men. They fought for seven years in Canaan. And when all the wars were done, it was time to head home back to the wrong side of the river. You see, in Canaan, what was going to happen is they were going to build a temple. And this is going to be the center of worship. When Solomon finally took reign, you know that I love the word jazz. There was jazz playing so much out of that temple that the whole world came. The whole world came. And these guys were missing the jazz on the way back to their homes across the wrong side of the river, they built their own little altar. And Moses came and said, what are you doing? And as they're building it, I wonder if they're hearing all these celebrations going on over in Canaan. Like, bah, ooh, hi. Well, we got our own little thing with a banjo. Around trumpets and all, you know, banjo. And see, the passion is not only driven because we're supposed to rock the world, but this is where the jazz is when you participate. I, mean, I got a, a, emails this week thinking, oh, I've been a Christian man for X number of years. And man, this one-to-one, I'm starting to get deeper. I've never had conversations like this. My life is coming alive for the first time. You know what I'm hearing? Jazz. Jazz. <laughs> You not only want to be a world rocker with the rest of the team, but you don't want to be on the quiet side of the river. You know how much jazz was going on with Adam behind the bush that day? Zero. Very quiet behind the bush that day. I'm driven. I'm driven. I'm driven and drawn to those of you in the body of Christ that are in the back 40, like God was driven, like, oh, man, you're missing the jazz, man. Oh, you're missing the jazz. It's harder. Oh, yeah, definitely harder. But the rewards are so much more great. You know, there was a lot of jazz in the book of Acts in chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, the Spirit of God came with such jazz. They were all what? Together. Where? You got it. Finally, let me say this to you. Because I'm, I'm saying these things because I'm delivering this with passion but driven by compassion. I believe that, you, that you're designed to be a world rocker and you can't do it solo commando. You can't. Number two, I believe that you, you, you'll miss the jazz if you sit on, on the proverbial back row. I, I really believe that. But three, let me say this to you. If you know the story of the Old Testament, there came a time when God took this beloved nation, his team, and said, you're in timeout. 
The adult word is exile. He sent Assyrian armies and Babylonian armies, and he said, I'm going to have to take you out of the plan for now. I'll send you back, but you're not learning your lesson. I've got to take you out. And so he sent these, at first, Assyria. The king's name was Paul, P-U-L. He, in all the secular history books, you'll read it. Um, he sent this, God sent this team, this, this army, fierce. The whole world was afraid of the Assyrian army. Any idea who they came to first? The separated ones. Watch. I find this riveting. I find that riveting. First Chronicles chapter 5. But the whole nation, they were unfaithful to the God of their ancestors, and they prostituted themselves to the gods of the people of the land whom God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, that is Teglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. And guess what? Who took the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. The others were left alone for 23 years. My point. Non-participants are often the first to get hit by the enemy because you don't have the safety of the team. Most of the phone calls, the emergency phone calls that I receive are those who have said, I just want to, I just, I don't want to get deeper into a small group. And Steve, I don't know who to turn to. And I ask, are you, are you in a small group? Because we, no, I'm not, I'm not. It's not the answer of everything, of course. But here is the answer. God has designed you to be a, a world changer together. God has designed you to experience the jazz, but he has designed you to be within the flock, deep within the flock, because when you watch those animal shows, you see who they get. They get the gazelle who's gone off by itself, solo commando, and the enemy says, that's the one I'm getting. This is not fun and games. It's not a playground. It's a battle game, a battleground, and God has called us to herd together. He did it for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years with the nation of Israel. Then he came to his church, the ecclesia, and said, you guys, bind together, herd together, keep together. There's a real army with a fierce plan against the kingdom of God. Stay together because you'll be stronger. You are designed to participate, to rock the world, to have the jazz, and to protect yourself from, the, from a target on your backside. Does that make sense? What cow is keeping you on the wrong side of the river, on the quiet side of the river, where there's no jazz and there's no protection? What cow is it? Because compared to this, oh, no comparison. Cow no comparison. So, would you be willing to look at those sacred cows? They could be your kids' sports activities. They could be your work habits. They could be your emotions. They could be oh, your fear, or concern, or bad experiences, history. Oh, there's a lot of cows that keep us from going today. I'm not all of you. Never happened. But are there some sitting in this room? that will look that cow in the face and first of all say, you know, you're sm you smell and you're not worth it. 
Not your, I'm not talking about your wife or husband. <laughs> it's conceptual. <laughs> and just take it and wrestle it to the ground and slaughter it and say, God, I'm coming to you. I wonder if you would do that. Father, thank you for awakening us with your word today. It's so clear, God, you've designed us. We can almost turn to any page of the Bible and see community, whether it's the Old Testament with Israel or any letter of, of the New Testament to churches or the 12 disciples in the gospel, it's always uh, there. The opportunity and the job role given to our creator is so clear. Get in the game. Father, my heart breaks at times for those who miss the jazz that, that is accompanied with hardship, no doubt that miss the jazz because they're on the quiet side of the river. My heart fears for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are on the exposed side, the susceptible side of the river. Today, Father, I pray that you would Allow them to, the courage, the honesty, really, first to look into the eyes of their sacred cows, whatever they might be, and give them the courage, God, to slaughter them. I pray that there'll be, that, that some of us, God, would actually be disturbed, unsettled about the sacred cows that we've built. I pray, God, that we'll hear about the jazz of community that will be driven to rock the world that comes through community, that will be too afraid of the enemy to stand outside the security of the community, God. But above all, God, above all of these things, I pray for those who want to look like you, and we're grateful, God, that who you are is one that was willing to give up nothing. And we pray this in the name of, of Christ who came to us and got in the game.